It's Friday, September 29th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. When Cindy Adams Dunn took over leadership of the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources two years ago, she had concerns about the long-term future of the department and its work. Conservation's a forever business. We need to make sure the next generation is, is really engaged with conservation. And that next generation has to be more diverse. We're not attracting diverse young people to our mission and at the rate we need to. That concern led to the launch of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps, an educational and job training program that puts teens and young adults to work on DCNR-managed projects across the state. By the end of its first year, it was already clear the program was exceeding expectations. A bunch of us were sitting there around the campfire, like looking at each other. We had goosebumps. These kids were talking about public service. They were talking about how they were making a picnic area more accessible for someone in a wheelchair. They were helping make the trail more usable and safer for the public. I thought, wow, this really works. We'll hear from Secretary Dunn about how the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps is teaching citizenship and shaping the next generation of conservationists on today's show. But first, let's look back at the past week in the state legislature, which is still debating how to pay for that $32 billion spending plan approved in June. David Hess, former secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection, has been keeping us posted and returns now for another update. David, thanks again for being here. Sure, glad to do it. Not a lot of uh, action, if any, really on the budget front, but we did have some activity earlier in the week. Can you summarize what happened or maybe more importantly, what didn't end up happening? Well, I mean, at, at this point, we obviously don't have a budget deal. Uh, there was an attempt by Democrats and some Republicans in the House to get a bill containing a severance tax or what they hope could be a, a real severance tax out of committee. But they came up short Monday and Tuesday in getting the votes they needed to do that through what's known as a discharge resolution. But, um, you know, that that was certainly uh, certainly a setback in the process because that was supposed to be sort of step one on what some people thought was a path toward an ultimate uh, budget agreement. But no luck. No luck. The House will be back next week to try again, and the Senate just announced that it will be back next week, October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. They hadn't planned to be back before the 16th, so both the Senate and House will be back next week, so we'll see what happens. And it wasn't that long ago. We were hoping to maybe have something done by October 1st, but that's obviously not happening. Well, I think now the ball's in, in the court of Governor Wolf because he had said that he could sort of muddle through paying bills until about October 1st. So we'll see what next week brings, whether he'll delay some additional payments or what his response will be to this continuing budget dilemma here. So one thing that did get done this week was a vote on a House resolution declaring October to be a Biodiversity Awareness Month in Pennsylvania. This measure did pass, but not before an attempt was made to block a vote on this. Sort of unusual, I, I, I think, in that this is a resolution. No money is involved, no, no change to laws or policy. It's largely symbolic. First of all, what happened? And then why was this controversial? What does it say about the state of affairs right now in state government that this wasn't a smooth process? Well, I mean, House, House members and Senate members introduce all sorts of resolutions to recognize uh, and raise awareness of certain diseases or, say, you know, mark uh, Pennsylvania Apple Week or things like that. And 
this was, suppo was supposed to be sort of a non-controversial resolution uh, offered by Representative McCarter from Montgomery County, um, just recognizing, as you said, October is Biodiversity Awareness Month. But uh, some, some of the conservative House Republicans that were behind the effort to raid the environmental funds you know, popped up on the floor and said they wanted to postpone a House vote on the resolution so they could, as Representative Dush said from Indiana County, so they could uh, review the scientific information underpinning the resolution to see if it had been peer-reviewed. And a number of House members got up in response and said, look, this is a resolution just to, to, as it says, raise awareness of this issue. It's not committing the state to do anything. They had to vote that motion down first before they moved on to voting on the resolution. So it was sort of unusual, but obviously it continues a pattern by some conservative House Republicans to challenge everything about the environment and energy, including a resolution on Biodiversity Awareness Month. So that's why I think it sort of stood out in a lot of people's minds. Was this simply procedural obstruction for, for the sake of it or in service of some larger tactical goal? Or, or is this really ideological? Is there some question as to whether biodiversity is a, a good thing? Well, I, I think in, in their minds, the conservative Republican minds, again, they've been pushing a notion that anything that is done in the environmental field be done in the best possible science and I obviously I don't disagree with that but for goodness sakes this was just about urging people to learn more about biodiversity it wasn't you know setting any sort of regulation or anything else Tying back to one of the environmental and conservation funds that have been at issue in this whole budget process recently uh, the recycling fund uh, there was a report that just came out this week that uh, had some fairly significant numbers for the economic activity generated by recycling in Pennsylvania. Some 66,000 jobs, which you noted in your post is like more than double of the number of uh, direct employees in the natural gas industry in Pennsylvania. Can you connect these things together, talk more about the the economic impact of recycling in Pennsylvania and specifically the role of the state and the recycling fund, the Act 101 fee in, in generating all this activity. The study that came out was an economic impact report of the Act 101 recycling program. And Act 101 was the original recycling law passed 29 years ago that set up a system for supporting local community-based collection of recyclables. And over the last 29 years, a, a real industry has developed, both in the, the direct collection and processing and marketing of the recyclables picked up by these programs, and also the use of those recyclables by other business and businesses and manufacturers as feedstock, as raw materials to make other products. And what this study found by the PA Recycling Market Center was, as you said, there are over 66,000 jobs directly employed in recycling and using recycled materials to make products. And they contribute 
about $22.6 billion a year to Pennsylvania's economy. Now, this was based in, on 2014-15 information. But then another 110,000 jobs, indirect jobs, can could be attributed to this entire recycling marketplace, they said. Um, so, you know, all those numbers compare pretty favorably with the Marcellus Shale drilling industry, which I think surprised a lot of people because they, they didn't realize that the recycling industry from collection to use in, in by manufacturers was, was that big. So I think this is good information to get out there for this debate. And I think, as you pointed out, I mean, there, there are two threats to this recycling marketplace right now. One is obviously a, the Republican House Republican budget, was, which proposes to take $70 million out of the recycling fund, which supports these local collection programs. And that's nearly two years worth of income. The second threat is the fact that the $2 a ton recycling fee, which funds all this, um, is due to sunset in 2020. And legislation pretty quickly passed the Senate, sponsored by Senator Killian in Delaware County, to reauthorize the fee, but it's been stuck in the House. So we'll have to see where how all that works out, if it works out in the budget process or a little bit later, but these are two threats at the very foundation of this $22.6 billion recycling marketplace now in Pennsylvania. So there's a possibility this could end up with a situation where not only has the fund been depleted in this short-term maneuver to try and balance this year's budget, but also the future flow of revenue into it from the recycling fee could be cut off. This would effectively, if those two things were to happen, would that be effectively the end of the the recycling program in Pennsylvania? Well, obviously, if if you don't have the money to support the local programs and everything else, it it would be the end. But there's a lot of recognition in the General Assembly that that they've got to do something to reauthorize the fee. There was a hearing by a joint... uh, House Senate Legislative Conservation Committee a couple months ago, you know, and county commissioners and township supervisors and many others, you know, all supported the recycling uh, program and the fee authorization. So I think it'll probably, that piece will probably get done. It may not be reauthorized for forever, like Senator Killian wanted to do, maybe a year or two until forcing the program to come back again. But I, I think awful lot of people see a lots of value to recycling. It's, it's been ingrained in our lives these days. Well, it seems pretty clear that Pennsylvania is getting a good return on investment when you look at these economic numbers as a result of that. Whatever is going in by way of, of support or, or subsidy or, or state assistance to get local programs off the ground seems to be money well spent. That said, just playing devil's advocate for a moment, there are some who would look at these data and say, hey, look, this industry is doing fine on its own. It no longer needs support from from the state. What would you say to that argument? Is that valid? Well, I think the township supervisors and by and large townships across the state uh, have you know, responsibility for the most part in most areas for doing the recycling programs. And and by the way, there are more municipalities that voluntarily have set up curbside recycling programs than there are mandated 
to do those programs. So, you know, townships have said, you know, they do need this kind of support, but I, I think that's a pretty small price to pay to support a $22.6 billion recycling marketplace we have here in, in Pennsylvania. And, and besides, I think, I mean, how could you look at your kids and say, look, we're not going to recycle anymore? They look at you like you're crazy. It does feel really wrong at this point when, when you can't find the recycling bin to put the recyclables into and, and they end up in the trash. It causes me physical discomfort every time it happens. Yeah, and that's the result of good education. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, the state legislature back in action around this time next week, so we will talk to you then and get the latest. Okay, sounds good. You can always find the latest environmental and policy news from across the state on the PA Environment Daily website and subscribe to the newsletter as well. Both operated by David Hess, former DEP secretary, who joins us each week to talk about state government issues. The Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps is wrapping up its second year of working with high school and college-age volunteers on conservation and recreation projects across Pennsylvania. The program was so successful in its first year that the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, which operates the Outdoor Corps, decided to expand it. Even so, demand for the program is still so high that there are many more applicants than there are spots available for them. DCNR Secretary Cindy Adams-Dunn is here now to talk about the Outdoor Corps, its goals, and why they seem to resonate with so many young Pennsylvanians. Madam Secretary, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Great to be here. Tell me about the Outdoor Corps. This sounds like uh, it almost harkens back to like a a WPA-era type thing, but this is a more recent initiative, I understand. It is. You know, it's funny you'd say that. Um, The inspiration certainly came from the Civilian Conservation Corps, of which Pennsylvania... Uh, had the the most CCC camps of any state. Mm. Then we had a Pennsylvania Conservation Corps, which unfortunately uh, was uh, was dismantled at the time of uh, the, the last recession. And so we'd been without something like this. So when I uh, when I came into the role, myself and our executive staff uh, started talking about the importance of engaging deeply uh, with youth for a number of reasons. One is uh, obviously. Our generation is going to be leaving a lot of conservation challenges for the next generation to deal with. I mean, climate change being uh, top of mind right now with the hurricane season on us. But um, the the need to engage youth in conservation is critical. Conservation is a forever business. Even our routine planning in DCNR, we're doing out 150 years because of the tree rotation on our state forest land. The kind of the kind of long-term work conservation is uh, land conservation is forever. Uh, local parks are long-term and plan to be in perpetuity. Our state parks are really public lands um, on, in Pennsylvania's landscape that are meant to be uh, in perpetuity. We need to make sure the next generation is is really engaged with conservation, and that next generation has to be more diverse. We need to diversify Pennsylvania's conservation world. It's reflected in our own staff in DCNR. It's reflected in the whole movement. We're not attracting diverse young people to our mission and at the rate we need to. So we thought for all these reasons, you know, Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps would be critical to establish. So we looked around for some partners. The Student Conservation Association came to mind. They are doing work in the Pittsburgh area, in fact, with 
the Richard King Mellon Foundation, and a lot of nonprofits and local governments. Uh, they have a record of um, bringing diverse young people into conservation and outdoor work. Uh, they operate all over the country. This is the business they do, so they were the partner we chose. We um, met with uh, the Department of Labor and Industry um, to to get a sense of um, their workforce uh, programs. And in fact, the governor's cabinet pulled, the governor asked the cabinet to pull together on the issue of youth and labor and industry was at the table. They used to run the Pennsylvania Conservation Corps. The staff uh, were gone, the vans had been sold, the tolls had been sold, but they were willing to support it financially. And to date, they have supported it. They've been our primary sponsor at $4 million so far here at the end of year two. Um, so they're a key partner. The Pennsylvania Park and Forest Foundation is a key partner and, uh, and other private funders. So the private funding side of it's growing. Uh, labor and industry still is a strong funder due to the workforce development effort. And it's been uh, wildly successful. So an SCA is doing the recruiting, I take it? Yeah, we, ha- we assist with that. Um, we, uh, in fact, we stuck it on a web page on a, a put the put the ad out on social media on a Thursday, thinking it would be uh, running a couple of weeks on social till it filled up. But it filled up by noon on Saturday. Wow. Uh, for every position that we were able to fill, there were about twelve recruited that wanted to be in that position. So we were only able to serve one out of twelve hmm. youth that wanted in. So that tells us the demand is huge. Did that surprise you at all? Yes. We know that young people communicate by social media. We do the program, you know, by this spring, we knew the program was a winner because we'd had a successful summer last year. We had no idea the demand was so high. Hmm. Um, and, and in fact, um, for the adult crews, the young adult crews are age 18 to 25. That's a 10-month experience. Um, what we found was young people are moving to be in the city that the, the, the crew leaves from. Like, for instance, Williamsport has a number of people from Philadelphia that moved to Williamsport and rented an apartment. Hmm. They, had a, they had a couple Pennsylvanians, but that uh, were attending college in New York State, came down and moved to Williamsport for the, for the duration, for the project. So there's a huge demand and a huge interest, which belies the mythology out there that um, young people either don't want to be outside, don't want to work hard. It's just not true. It's just not uh, what we're finding at all. Clearly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with that that kind of demand, it sort of begs the question. I mean, we see what Pennsylvania gets out of this, uh, what DCNR gets out of it. What are the participants taking away from this experience? What's the value to them? We, we do wrap-up exercises with them, and it's interesting uh, to hear their perspective. First of all, our first summer, uh, we had five crews five summer crews out there, and we brought them all together around the campfire at uh, Gifford Pinchot State Park end of the summer. And uh, if you remember last year, it was the hottest summer on record. In fact, the six weeks that they worked were the hottest six weeks on record. (laughs) It was brutal. So what I expected to hear was how hard it was and how difficult and how uncomfortable it was to be out there in that heat working outdoors. What we heard instead was true public service mentality coming through. I mean, we're, a bunch of us were sitting there around the campfire, like, looking at each other. We had goosebumps. Hmm. These kids were talking about public service. They were talking about how they were making a picnic area more accessible for someone in a wheelchair. They were helping make the trail more usable and safer for the public. They were helping make, you, you name the amenity, better for the public. And, 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 you know, they hadn't been told to say that, but 
clearly our our maintenance staff that we're working with them, our educational staff, and our uh, SCA team members had been instilling public service in them, maybe unknowingly, just by working elbow to elbow with them. So with that, wow, this really works. Um, if you know six weeks of the hottest summer on record, if they if they understand public service with that hands-on experience, and this is a real winner. Yeah. So we expanded it this year. We're expanding it as fast as uh, we can. So we went uh, to 14 youth crews, and we have four adult crews out there. And then we've expanded um, the experience. We thought it'd be good for each crew to have a keystone project, like a, a built thing that they can come back to with their friends and family and show them. So mm-hmm. some of them are building uh, Adirondack shelters. They're like shelters that you can use along a hiking trail. Some of them are building, you know, doing big tree planting projects, uh, streamside buffers. Um, some of them are doing like like side hill construction on trails that you know, ma- major trail renovations that you know are constructed hillsides things like that. Now we're giving them um, some some good experience in public outreach. Uh, this summer we launched our public outreach campaign on state parks. If you remember uh, way back when there was a state parks 2000 that was really a vision and a guide for state parks that hadn't been updated since then. So. We're doing a plan now. It's called Pennsylvania Parks for All, which is reflective of the state park mission to serve all 13 million Pennsylvanians. And we're doing a massive public outreach process to understand what Pennsylvanians want out of their state park system. So a lot of the uh, students help with public outreach and survey methodology, hmm. guided by uh, Penn State in the protocol for um, approaching people and engaging in a, a research project. So that was a good experience for a number of them. Let them do invasive species management so they learn about invasive species and the challenges there. Again, that's a very um, useful tool to have um, a, lot, a lot of good and a lot of good variety of projects. Yeah, these are not just they're not just out there with picks and shovels and moving piles of rocks around. Right. They're learning a lot. They're learning a lot. In fact, um, each week we make sure it's usually Friday, frankly, that you know, they, they do learning experience either with our educators, with uh, some of our rangers, with partner organizations and, and do some educational things. So I go out um, when I can and our leadership team we made sure that each team gets visited by myself, a deputy or a park director, to um, kind of download on the experience and to, to have sort of a, um, a campfire circle. It's often during the daytime, but just to talk about the experience and uh, glean what they're getting from it and talk about their future. And so we, we learn how meaningful it is to a lot of these young people. It's just, I think it's a confidence builder. Uh, for some of the more urban youth, it's you know getting outdoors, and it's something really different. You know, they yeah. they meet the van in the morning and they go pretty far away and work outdoors all day and get to meet other people. And that's another thing. I think what we found is um, these young people are forming uh, deep and lasting friendships with each other. Mm. Uh, we're trying to keep in touch with them. We we'd love to land as many of them as possible in DCNR's ranks or in a conservation organization or to you know, SCA or to stay stay with this field, whether it is a uh, avocation or just something they really want to pursue as a hobby. I, I wanted to ask that. You're I mean, clear you're cultivating citizens yeah. and stewards, but do a lot of these uh, young people go on to careers in conservation, either with you or elsewhere? It's kind of early to say, but uh, some of our, out, our adult crew actually worked as counselors in the youth crew. Mm. Uh, we had one young man, it was interesting, we had one of those round tables, campfires, you know, that we had in one of the forest districts. 
And what we do is we get all of our staff, uh, and we, we make sure all classifications of our staff, our maintenance staff, our rangers, our educators, our managers are all sitting around, and then all the, the youth, and talk about, um, we each talk about our own work experience and try to relate it to where they're at in life. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about their interests and aspirations. And one of the young men said, I, I don't want to be in an office. I want to be in the woods. I love running big equipment, you know. And it turns out that that forest district had a, a, a seasonal maintenance position open. And so he is, uh, is, he's gotten that job. So I think there'll be some good matchmaking there that takes place. Though obviously, uh, we're, we're trying to include so many young people in this program. We won't be able to hire them all. So we're really hoping that they, they land conservation jobs elsewhere or keep trying. You know, maybe they'll do some other kind of work but come back and uh, apply and get in later. And what's really neat um, in these roundtables, uh, staff at all levels of DCNR speak up and really assist. I think our maintenance staff have been um, real um, stewards of this program. They've really instilled some of their thinking in the young people and really have been very sharing about their personal experience in uh, DCNR. So that's been great. You mentioned there's an emphasis on diversity. How are you pursuing that and how does that fit with DCNR's larger goals in that area? So what we do is uh, we find key contacts in the school systems and uh, counselors and other programs. Uh, We've talked to mayors and other people that uh, share the same goal. Um, work with county exec and uh, you know Allegheny, we, you know mayor of York, and we just we find the right contacts. SCA also, we're all doing this outreach and find the right contacts and get you know get a um, get contacts to to approach and recruit. And um, the goal would be to to use this program as an inroad um, to hiring in DCNR and, and really change our numbers on diversity. And what we um, couple tools to offer. This administration is, is uh, making a decided effort to change up hiring processes to make them much more friendly to millennials. The conventional state government hiring system just is, is not millennial friendly. So um, our Office of Administration um, has opened up some avenues. They're doing this vacancy-based hiring. So there's a lot of logic. There's a position open and, you know, a um, opportunity and, and uh, youth can apply for that position at that place. So that makes it um, much more user-friendly to, to people who are not intimately familiar with state government. Mm-hmm. Well, you said there was this huge response when you began advertising these on social media. Right. What else? How else are you engaging with younger, with millennials or younger people via social media? We have a, um, we have a, a youth initiative overall. So we have six strategic initiatives and one of them is youth. And um, DCNR has uh, really doubled down on our use of social media. Now, explain this to my um, baby boomer mouth. Maybe <laughs> it may lose something in translation. But we have two staff dedicated to, um, you know, to social media. So we're opening up new accounts. We're looking at the content on our accounts, making it much more vibrant, much more user-friendly. Our whole web page has been transformed to a um, device-friendly format. So, and we, it's based on the user, the user questions based on the research we have. So when people go to DCNR's website, now, if from someone who works in DCNR, we may look at the web page as a place to tell the whole story of the agency's 
official mission. Right. But the user angle could be, hey, I want to go to a park this Saturday, and I'm looking for a place where there might be a, a bird walk somewhere, you know, drivable for me. So the thing about the questions the public is asking the web page. Um, so we've really switched around our web page format to make it uh, user-friendly. Just anecdotally, one thing I've been hearing lately, it seems like, about at the national park level is that attendance is just way, way, way up. And yes. it's driven by millennials largely. Are we seeing that in Pennsylvania? Yes. Uh, we, we don't separate out the age groups, but our attendance has been very strong and growing. And it yeah, there's a resurgence of interest in young people. We're having a lot of diverse families visiting the parks, big family groups. The Hispanic community is really showing up in droves and enjoying the picnic areas. and, and that. So I think what we'd like to do, so we, we see all this great diversity in the parks. That's not as reflected in our staff composition right now. So we're trying to, trying to work on that issue, but also try to deepen the experience that we have with people while they're there. So, yes, they were in a lovely park and had a picnic, but, you know, what did they learn? So we, our environmental educators and naturalists are bringing their educational programs near the big family groups. And it's really working. I was uh, at Pine Grove Furnace State Park uh, just a few weekends ago. Our educator there had set up a table on reptiles and amphibians just at the busiest cross-section in the picnic grove near where people would be heading to the restrooms or the beach and had a crowd, an ever-changing crowd of uh, young people and older people just looking at her exhibit and her rubber snakes and lizards and turtles and asking her questions. So I think it's, you know, it's just looking at how we do our outreach in the parks to really reach people so that when they go home, it's not only that they had a great picnic and got to see their aunt and uncle, but um, they learned something about conservation and they want to come back. If we could back up just a little bit sure. and talk about what kind of work uh, the Outdoor Corps participants do on a sure. daily basis. What does a day on the job look like for them? So they show up uh, fairly early um, and meet the van. There's um, breakfast bars and, you know, uh, we keep them very well hydrated, by the way. This is hard physical work. So there's always, 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 always a lot of water right. and uh, and snacks. You, you need, you know, they're burning a lot of calories. So they, uh, the van will take them uh, to their assignment. Our, our state parks and forest managers will have sent in a wish list of projects to do on park and forest land, and their schedule is set. So they, they'll, they'll be driving out of their city and, and up to an, an hour or in the far end of it, like an hour and a half or two, to a project site. And uh, the project could be like a, a trail relocation uh, where they're doing side hill construction, building stone walls. It could be um, just a trail restoration where they're putting in water bars or expanding a trail. It could be um, invasive species removal. And again, that's more than just um, it's more than just say tear this you know these weeds out. It's like you learn about the invasive species and what the problem is. One of the most interesting invasive species program I heard was from our Philly crew who was working in. A, Ben Rush State Park, which is in uh, northern Philly, a bunch of uh, Japanese knotweed between um, the park, the part of the park where they're working in the, a major roadway. And on that major roadway, one day, an ice cream truck went by with its bell, you know, how they ding, you know, that mm. there's ice cream. 
and they were yelling and screaming, but the truck driver couldn't see a bunch of young people down there in the park who wanted to buy ice cream. So they attacked that pile of knotweed <laughs> so that the next day when the ice cream truck went by, he could see them all, and he pulled down, and they all, they all got some ice cream. Yeah, so <laughs> there's a number of reasons that they tackle these invasive species. But that, you know, these young people are really um, good at this is tackling huge areas of invasive species. Do light, you know, some construction, like I mentioned, um, I was with a crew uh, up at Loyal Sox State Forest that was building a really nice Adirondack shelter. Great, a great project, and uh, they they were doing amazing work there. So that's a, a very, uh, it, it was on a part of the um, old loggers path that um, was pretty inaccessible. So it'll provide a, a great place for hikers to stop. Uh, shoreline restorations. A lot of our beaches and the campgrounds and uh, such need shoreline restoration. Uh, riparian buffer plantings. We have a big water initiative underway, and uh, they do a lot of riparian buffer, streamside buffer plantings. Uh, again, this uh, public outreach and uh, surveying of park users was a neat project this year, mm-hmm. and a number of you know a number of other things. Um, you know, just whatever the the projects that were submitted by the park or forest. It, you know, it sounds like there's no shortage of of work for them to do. You're keeping them busy. You no, know, we we have a lot of work. Um, as you might imagine, uh, 2.2 million acres of forest land and 121 state parks. We have a, a wonderful uh, staff crew and, and the maintenance side and our management side. But it's you know it's a lot, and yeah. uh, with invasive species coming on strong, and we've always um, depended on volunteers on. Trail maintenance. I mean, trail maintenance is something that has always been done by volunteers and crews and, and such. We've never had a workforce big enough to manage the, the trail system in Pennsylvania. Well, magic wand, right? So if uh, funding were not an issue, how big could this? How how big would you like this to be? How many outdoor corps members would you want? Wow, I haven't thought of an upper limit. I, I mean, I think the, the sky's <laughs> the limit. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty big. I mean, I think yeah, the constraints are. Our funding and, of course, our staff to run it and SCA staff to run it. But uh, I think we'd like to keep growing it. Labor and industry has been supportive. Um, yeah, we're finding you know, the legislature likes it. I mean, there's there's really no no downside. It's meeting some of the governor's goals. It's uh, helping some of their cabinet members meet meet their goals. So it's 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 a win win all around. And what's the best way to find out more information if you're interested or know somebody that might be interested in participating? It's pretty easy to find on our website. Uh, you know, go to Pennsylvania's uh, DCNR's website. Look, look for the Outdoor Corps, or just Google it. I think we've gotten enough um, media out there by now that it should pop up on just a, a simple Google search. But I really encourage people to look into it. Again, we're um, we'd like to expand the program. One one expansion thing I didn't mention is that uh, we're looking for private funding partners to then allow us to take the projects, take the, the crews off of state land and and help local partners. You know, Pennsylvania's got thousands and thousands of local parks and thousands of miles of trails. And uh, with help from uh, local funding partners, so we can we can assign a crew a week or two out on a partner land. And it, it broadens our experience and it also gives them other contacts for when they're looking for their future in conservation, we hope. Secretary Cindy Dunn from DCNR, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you for your interest.
Thanks again to DCNR Secretary Cindy Adams-Dunn for joining us on the show today. And uh, thanks also to Commonwealth Media Services and Mark Dubervec for production support on this episode and several other we've done from the state capitol. Hope to do more of those in the future. Thanks again. That'll do it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us for Pennsylvania Legacies. We release a new episode every Friday, so I hope you'll check back again next week. In the meantime, help us spread the word of this program by recommending it to a friend or colleague, by leaving a rating or review with Apple Podcasts or Google Play or SoundCloud or anywhere you listen to Pennsylvania Legacies. You could subscribe for free to the show at any of those places or simply listening on the website at peckpa.org. That's the place where you'll find Lots more content about all the work that Pennsylvania Environmental Council is doing across this Commonwealth work in watersheds, trails and recreation, energy and conservation policy, and much more. Hope you'll check it out. PECPA.org is the website. At PECPA is the Twitter handle. And we're on Facebook, too. Hope to connect with you there as well. By the way, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. Send an email to legacies at peckpa.org. That's L-E-G-A-C-I-E-S at P-E-C-P-A dot O-R-G. That's all for now. Until next week, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.